so Katie, this is a kind of a broad, uh, very maybe complex question, but I mean, can you walk us through a little bit of what the professional game's been through over, say, the last 12 months? Yeah, so for us, I think this really started to percolate um, in April. And, you know, we, Haley and I had heard um, sort of in the lead up to the world championships in Finland that, you know, players were discussing um, the sudden folding of the CWHL um, and what that would mean for the viability of the NWHL and whether there had been this sort of long brewing um, sense that, you know, for some people, they found having one unified league more appealing. Um, so, so that was something that, you know, Haley monitored very, very early on um, when the CWHL went under, under very abrupt circumstances and players were kind of scrambling. And then, as I said, that sort of prompted the discussions to percolate. And we found that kind of culminating um, during the world championships when some of the game's elite players were discussing this internally. And we really wanted to identify that there were these discussions about whether or not to sit out, you know, the year rather than play with the NWHL in hopes that it could help facilitate one unified league, perhaps with NHL backing. Um, and that is indeed what happened not long afterwards. Um, several of the game's power brokers got together, talked about wanting, you know, more sustainability, better infrastructure, better funding, better exposure for the game, and they felt that, you know, one league um, could provide that option and that sitting out this season rather than playing the NWHL could help facilitate that. And so that was really kind of the watershed moment, I would say, in, in over the past year. Um, and then we've seen all of it sort of transpire from there. We've seen um, some people sitting out. We've seen some people still play within the NWHL. There's been a whole smattering of opinions about um, whether the NHL would ever be interested or involved in a WNHL. Um, and in both all-star games, you know, within the past year or so, um, they've featured women's players prominently. And um, that's done a ton to increase their exposure. So it'll be interesting to see where it plays out from here, but certainly there's been a lot that has gone down over the past 13 or 14 months. Haley, you took a, a bus trip with a CWHL team. You spent a lot of time um, sort of observing as kind of a fly on the wall for a road trip. What did life look like for a CWHL player uh, during its latter months of existence? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not great. Um, you know, what I experienced, you know, we left right at, you know, I think 7pm from Toronto, because everybody had to work that day. So you're leaving from Toronto to Montreal, kind of rush hour traffic, everyone's, you know, stopping at Tim Hortons trying to grab a bagel or a donut, which you wouldn't expect, you know, a professional hockey player to be 
going on a road trip with, you know, like a Boston cream and a double double, um, especially when you see, you know, what NHL players have, you know, they go on the charter and there's three meals and there's real food and they don't have to worry about bringing anything. Um, so these women, they kind of go on, they bring their own food that they can bring straight from work. Um, and then they sit right on the bus and they, they drive to Montreal and, um, I think we made one stop at a rest stop and everyone got more Tim Hortons, went back on the bus. Uh, we got into Montreal, I think at, you know, midnight or 1am and then they had to be at the for, for 9am the next morning. So um, even just that stuff, you know, that wouldn't happen in the, the National Hockey League. Uh, there's parts in the CBA that says, you know, how much time they're supposed to have off and they're supposed to stay in, you know, at least a five-star hotel and they would never drive to Montreal. They would always fly. Um, so it's those little things. Um, and then it's, you know, the hotel was, it was fine. It wasn't a five-star hotel and, you know, they just watching the setup. I mean, there was one equipment manager, so he did everything. Like some of the girls were even sharpening their own skates because there was only one guy who was able to, to do the skate sharpening and you know if someone needed something with their stick or they needed new laces um you know some of the girls had to go to the pro shop and buy new laces like they didn't have skate laces provided by the team because there just wasn't any so it's these tiny little things that i think you would think is um you would just always be there if you're a professional hockey player that just weren't katie i'm wondering um was there what was the relationship between you know the CWHL and the NWHL? Was there was there kind of a rivalry? Was there was there any hope that you know they could maybe move to that unified league? Um, you know, I, I don't I don't want to be too reductive in describing it as a rivalry or that they were completely um, harmonious either. I think you know there were women who preferred one versus the other and, and played in those leagues accordingly for a variety of different reasons. Um, but I would say that certainly the shuttering of the CWHL um, had a monumental impact on every professional women's hockey player because it really um, preempted them to make a choice. And, and, and you know, it's interesting also to consider the fact that the choice for, say, a national team member um, might be different than a non-national team member in terms of, you know, what sort of endorsements they have going for them, what sort of ice time availability they have, um, you know, what sort of flexibility they have in terms of their own, um, you know, careers. I mean, you have to have also remember that a lot of these women work full-time professional jobs um, in addition to playing professional hockey, which is incredible in and of itself. Um, but, you know, I, 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 what, what the CWHL folding did is it sort of drew a line in the sand of, you know, are you willing to participate in what they are calling a gap year, um, which, you know, is more or less a boycott. Um, and, or, you know, are, is it more important to you to play and see if, you know, throwing all resources into the pre-existing NWHL could help cultivate a more sustainable structure? And the NWHL did um, make some pretty significant um, concessions um, in the wake of 
all this tumult about trying to um, create a better, you know, professional atmosphere and better benefits for players. Um, but there are certainly still, you know, dividing lines of, of whether people think that the NWHL can ever be viable or that the only way um, women's professional hockey will not only um, exist but thrive is with, you know, the power of the NHL, you know, force and might and resources and promotional abilities behind it. Haley, I'm wondering, you've, you've spoken with a lot of players, um, you know, through the course of this process, how would you describe how they're feeling? Is it, is it frustration? Is it hopeful? Is it, is it something else? Yeah, I mean, I would probably say that it would come in waves for these players. I think maybe there was a bit of a, a lull in their PWHPA scheduling where there weren't really any um, games. There weren't really any um, of their Dream Gap Tour events. So I think maybe in those moments, that's when it starts to sink in where it's, you know, are we going to actually get to play in the league again? You know, when is this going to be resolved? So I would definitely say that it. there's been moments where, you know, I think they've maybe not questioned it, but you know, it's been a little bit quiet and I'm sure that can be frustrating for them because, you know, at the end of the day, they really just want to play hockey, um, but they want to be treated properly in doing so. Um, and we've also seen some examples of, you know, that frustration getting to a point where they leave the professional women's hockey players association and they return back to the, the NWHL. So those are some of the extreme cases of frustration, but I do think that you know, for the most part, the players who are still part of the PWHPA, they really believe in what they're doing and they believe what they're doing is right and they're very passionate about it. And um, I would say that there is hope there, um, especially, you know, with what happened with the NHL All-Star Game, I think right now. And if you were to talk to players like I did after that, you know, there is that that genuine hope that there is something better coming just because of the support um, that the NHL has showed them outright and, and inviting so many of them and, and really treating them. You know, they had a full NHL locker room. They had, they were geared out completely by Adidas. They were given a private suite for the game. They walked the red carpet. They were treated at every single step of the way, the exact same way that the NHL players were. Um, so I think it's moments like that where it shows them what they're doing is the right course of action because it gives them a glimpse of what, they could have full time if the NHL does indeed step in. Katie, you've covered so many complicated um, sort of stories over the course of your career. Um, journalistically, how do you approach a story with this many moving parts, uh, not just in one country, but, you know, internationally, basically, when you're factoring in the Canadian players, the U.S. players, the, the remnants of the Canadian League, the U.S. League, the NHL, other investors? How do you, how do you possibly come to make sense of, of all of these different stakeholders? Yeah, I think, you know, from a process perspective, um, for me, uh, the first thing that I did was I, I read up on a lot of Haley's previous reporting. Haley did an awesome job <clears throat> covering the CWHL and covering so many of the machinations of what was happening. And for me coming into this a bit anew um, with a much more limited knowledge and experience reporting on this, I really tried to just read as much as I could, not just about, you know, what 
had transpired in the last year, but also, you know, there was a um, very well-documented labor negotiation, essentially, in in 2017, leading up to world championships there, and the boycott with the U.S. women. Um, And, you know, I think in all these cases, when you have all these moving parts and almost different fiefdoms within this conflict and um, not even conflict, but I would say this very complicated uh, scenario unfolding at a rapid pace. It's to me always really helpful to just talk to as many people as you can. So that means talk to players, talk to coaches, talk to their agents, talk to marketing experts, talk to people um, within the league, within the NHLPA, um, with them, the, you know, like just anyone that you can possibly think that would intersect with the game in a way that could provide valuable information um, can be very helpful. I think the diversity of perspectives really helped us to flesh out all of the moving parts that there were to this. Um, and that there were even sort of, like, like I alluded to earlier, there were stratifications even within you know, you have sort of different factions, but there are stratifications even within that, like, you know, national team members versus non-national team members. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we just really threw ourselves in and immersed ourselves in this and talked to as many people as possible. One really interesting conversation I had um, was with Val Ackerman, who um, used to be the commissioner of the WNBA. Um, or, I mean, sorry, used to be the president of the WNBA and um, is now the commissioner of the Big East. And she actually was tasked by NHL commissioner Gary Bettman with fielding or drafting like a white paper proposal about what a WNHL would look like in 2010 because Bettman wanted to see, you know, the viability, what it would look like. And um, so she had really interesting perspectives for me um, on what she found in 2010 to be sort of the main um, prohibitive factor that she thought was going to prevent a league like that being sustainable to what she has seen transpire in the, you know, eight years that followed and what has sort of led her to kind of change her mind about its viability now. Um, So that was, an interesting perspective that I wouldn't have even known to seek out had I not kind of talked to as many people as possible about who I should talk to. And and if I could kind of add to that. uh, Yeah. uh, That was the question I I just wanted to ask you quickly was, um, you know, what does that look like? You know, when you are fielding that many calls and making that many calls, like it's not a nine to five job, is it? You must've fielded many calls um, at all hours of the, of the day. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think there was one day where I kind of said to my friend, like, yeah, I haven't seen, you know, any humans in a couple of days. Why don't you come over? We'll watch a movie. And then I ended up on the phone the entire time and she ended up leaving and she was really frustrated with me. But that's kind of the nature of when you're kind of working and embedding yourself in something like this, because you could have someone text you at, you know, 9 p.m., when you think you have the night off and say, Hey, I've got some information for you. And if you say, no, sorry, I'm, you know, watching a movie, they might get a little frustrated with you and and not call you back. So um, it was very, um, it was time consuming, but it was, you know, for me personally, I enjoyed this kind of work. You know, I enjoyed hearing what everyone had to say about it. And I think, you know, Katie and I were a good partnership because 
you know, when I got hired by the athletic last September, I very much, you know, embedded myself in the Canadian women's hockey league very quickly. Um, and that was at a time when there weren't that many major publications like the athletic covering the Canadian women's hockey league. So I think it was, you know, it's unfortunate what happened, but I think it was really good timing of it all because I had spent that entire season gaining trust and talking to players writing stories about what life is like, writing stories just about their game that once everything happened, they came to me at first because they were like, you were here all year. You're not just here because of, you know, this horrible thing that just happened to us in our league folding. And then Katie was really great because she was is so well connected, you know, in everything in the NHL. And um, so I think that partnership really worked. So we were both able to kind of work the phones at all hours on kind of our different sides and, and maybe where we had the better relationships. And I think we were able to come up with, with a lot of stuff as you kind of seen through all the reporting, but it was, a uh, I was on the phone a lot. I think I uh, went over my long distance <laughs> minutes very <laughs> early on. <laughs> all right. So looking ahead then, um, what needs to happen next? to move to move it forward to move it closer to a solution for for all of the players to find a place to play what are we looking at yeah well i mean i think it there's a couple of things because you know gary bettman in the nhl their their stance for a really long time even going back to when both leagues were operating you know even 3 years ago was always you know i'm not going to step into this climate if there's still somewhere to play so as it stands right now the nwhl is still there um, but i do believe that the pwhpa players have been trying and will continue to try to convince the nhl that they don't need to wait for the nwhl to be out of the market they want to convince um, the commissioner and the deputy commissioner and, and the board of governors that a wnhl could still thrive and not ruin the nwhl's business because that's been you know one of the major things for Gary Bettman is he doesn't want that kind of PR um, mess, if, if that's the right word of, you know, him coming in and, and trashing and ruining, you know, Danny Ryland's business. So the PWHPA have been trying to convince the NHL that, you know, they could be an American Hockey League or an ECHL, you know, they could be where the non-elite players play and they'll still be able to thrive. Um, but from the NWHL's perspective, that's an investment league. Um, so I, I do believe that the NWHL would fear that their investors would not come back. Um, so there still is that, that tension there where, you know, the PWHPA wants this WNHL regardless, but they believe that the NWHL will be fine. So that's what they're convincing the NHL of, but the NWHL may not be fine. And then, you know, we could be in, not we, but they could be in a, a bit of a mess there. So it's, it's really difficult. I think what really needs to happen is, you know, the NHL needs to decide if they're actually going to act on this, regardless of the NWHL's future, because they're saying we're here for good, you know, we're not going to fold. Um, so if that's the NWHL stance and they hold strong and the NHL holds strong, it's going to be, you know, a standstill for a very, very long time. So the NHL, I think, just needs to decide if they're going to act on this um, regardless of what the NWHL decides to do. Katie, a question for you is, is what would an WNHL look like? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, we tackled that in some of our reporting. 
Um, I think what it would likely look at, at least at its inception, um, was something modeled pretty closely to a cluster of a half dozen teams with affiliations of the original six franchises, not necessarily all, but maybe most. Um, I think we'd see them clustered in the Northeast to um, cut down on, you know, mitigate travel costs. Um, and I think they'd like to see a brand affiliation um, with several of the NHL franchises um, to see, you know, those teams really get a viable, you know, promotional push um, with the backing of an NHL organization. Um, so I think that's what we would see sort of in the um, early years. I, I should also say, you know, I think we'd see people that are, you know, powerful, influential um, people to the women's game involved. And I don't know if that would be in a board of directors capacity or as consultants, um, but people like Cassie Campbell, Cami Granato, like those are people that all need to be involved because um, they're just great ambassadors for the women's game. Um, and they're, you know, both really sharp women. And so I think if the NHL is going to um, support a league like that, um, I think they have to involve people, like I just mentioned. I think they have to be committed to... Um, you know, providing the resources, not just at the start, but to really allow it to grow at a grassroots level um, and to see it through. You know, these things don't happen overnight. I mean, you look at the WNBA now, and I think we're seeing such tremendous growth, but it took a while. And so I think there has to be a level of patience that, you know, you might not see returns on your investment at at the start and that shouldn't shock anyone that wouldn't be the case for any league I don't think so I think patience infrastructure professionalism um, and a vision and so I think Haley hit the nail on the head there that I think the biggest um, you know the impetus for something moving forward is the league's got to make a decision and I think she's right that they do not want to be seen as big footing the NWHL. I think there are probably legal components to that concern too, whether they'd, you know, have any tortious interference lawsuit on their part. Um, you know, the standard players contract that we reviewed for the NWHL had some interesting like non-disparagement, non-interference clauses. Um, so I don't think they want to get involved in any litigation either. So that's a distinction to make as well. But I think Haley's right. They've got to decide whether they're in or out, um, irrespective of what happens with the w NWHL. Yeah, Haley, and yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, yeah. Just one last thing to add there, and I think it's what I've heard from a number of players too, is that you know maybe the informal message from the league and any kind of conversation that they've had with the NHL has been, you know if this is something that we do, it needs to be done right because no one else is going to try for many, many years if we do it wrong and it flashes and it crashes and burns. So I think that's kind of been the message is if the NHL is going to step in, it's going to take a bit of time because they want to make sure that if and when they do it, it's going to be there for a long time. And Haley, in the meantime, while the CWHL is no longer in existence, um, registration among uh, 
girls is is rising in Canada. It's one of the only demographics um, that's that's rising uh, across you know Hockey Canada registration tallies. What is being lost? Well, there's no professional game here in Canada. Yeah, well, they're losing that. If you see it, you can be it kind of aspect of it. You know, I think the the CWHL had its attendance problems, but it was still an opportunity for young girls to go and see women playing at a professional high level and see, wow, um, you know, I could be Natalie Spooner one day, or it's the, the, the young minority girls who could see Sarah Nurse and say, wow, like I look like her and she's playing hockey. I could do that. So, um, you know, I never played hockey at a high level. I was a horrible skater, but you know, when I, when I think about, that kind of stuff for me, you know, if there was never a Christine Simpson on Hockey Night in Canada, I never, I probably never would have gotten into sports reporting because I, you know, I watched Hockey Night in Canada and I watched sports every weekend and she was kind of the first female that I saw and said, oh, that could be a cool job. Like I could do that. And, and what's being lost and not seeing these players on a regular basis is that, oh, wow, I could maybe do this one day. And, and I think that's the, the whole purpose of the Dream Gap Tour that the PWHPA players are putting on because they know that they need to train, but they also know that they need to show these, these young girls that they're still there and that there's still something for them to look forward to because, you know, a lot of these players who are really putting their careers on the line and not training and not playing right now, um, they might not be able to reap the benefits of a WNHL if it, if it ever comes to be, you know, it's the, the Megan Mickelson's and the Megan Augusta's, um, who are basically training at home by themselves. You know, Megan Augusta tries to train with the RCMP over 30 team because there's no, there's no boycott group out there with her. So she's kind of putting her career on the line to, to fight for something that she's probably never going to play in. Um, but that's something that young girls, if it's done right, will be able to play in in years to come. So, um, you know, they're doing this, that dream gap tour to, to fight for something better for the future, but also to show young girls, hey, we're still here. And this is something that we're trying to do for you. Last question for you both, um, Katie and Haley. Is there a sense of when something like this could be resolved? When, when either the one league or whether the WNHL gets, gets off the ground? Is it, is, it, is it a year? Are we talking five years? Is it, is it maybe not even that? I would, I, I think it's, I do think there are some logistical um, hurdles. So I think it's unrealistic to think that anything could be in place next season, even if the league decided, hey, we want to get involved and do this. Um, I think it would probably take, you know, start to finish once they decide to like roll up their sleeves, 18 months, 15, 18 months. Um, so I'm inclined to believe that, you know, we're more, a year and a half to two years away. Um, but who knows? Like when people are motivated to get something together and um, really make it work, you know, stranger things have happened. But I think Kaylee made a great point about, um, you know, when reporting this story, I think we were really both kind of impacted by all the people that, and all, like all of the amazing athletes that we dealt with who juggle like their personal life, their professional life and this, and are oftentimes doing so um, in hopes of starting something viable that they may not be, um, you know, 
beneficiaries of. They that they like the idea of paying it forward so that future generations will have something um, truly special and sustainable. Yeah, and I I think you know if you're thinking of the timeline, I agree with what Katie said. You know, this is something that hasn't been tabled or you know put forward to the board of governors at all yet. So there's that certainly because the league obviously needs to get approval if they're going to move forward. Um, they will need to get TV deals, TV contracts. So I think there's a lot of stuff that would need to be done. But I I do think that the PWHPA. Um, and, you know, the leaders of that group would probably hope to get some clarity on the situation probably by this time next year. Um, I think that if there would be no discussions of what's coming forward, you know, a year from now, that's when maybe that panic would start to set in. But I agree with that timeline of about, um, you know, a year and a half to two years before you really see the puck drop on a WNHL if there were to be one. Katie, Haley, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you.